Good morning. This is Kevin Payne, pastor at First Baptist Church in Independence, Missouri. Welcome to our podcast. What you're about to hear is a portion of our worship services that began last Sunday morning at 1030. Every week we gather and sing praises to the living God and hear teachings from His Word found in Scripture. We hope you enjoy the message. If you'd like to hear more, there are more here on the podcast, or you could come and worship with us. Our Bible studies begin at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and our worship begins at 1030. We're located in Independence, Missouri, 500 West Truman Road. Why don't you come and worship with us? Good morning. We're so glad to see you here today. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we worship you today. We stop everything. We're busy. We got stuff. And yet you are more important. This morning, Father, we gather and worship you to proclaim that you are our God and we are your people. We follow you in faith. We trust you. Be with us now. Hear our words of praise. We ask that your spirit move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. with me this morning if you would you can see we're in the gospel of John chapter 10 Matthew Mark Luke and John in your New Testament the gospel of John chapter 10 as you can see today we're going to be talking about a sense of security and how in Jesus Christ you can be sure not only of where you stand with God but in terms of where you stand in eternity and is are you safe is someone going to do something to you can someone get in between you and God? You know, a lot of people live with the fear of religious leadership doing something and those kinds of things. So today we're going to talk about something that we used to call eternal security and how you can be sure of where you stand with God. The Gospel of John chapter 10, you'll need to mark that because we'll be looking at two or three other chapters of different passages of Scripture, so hang on if you would. As always, we pray. You know, there are several church members, Gary Roars in particular, but others that are going through difficult times. Pray for them if you would. We all know people in our own families and circle of friends that are struggling in life. Pray for them too. Pray for this church. Pray for our nation in this year of elections. That we would choose a leader that could guide us and could be trusted. Out with me, please. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence and for this life that we have in Christ. We understand, Father, that what we have in Christ is permanent and absolute. 
that your love to us is unconditional, will never change, and it is forever. Thank you, Father, for giving us that foundation for life. We pray this morning that as you work in our lives, that we would be receptive to your spirit. We know that there are others in our congregation who struggle. We think of Gary Roars and others. Be with them, Father. Provide healing and comfort and hope. Father, we pray for our nation this year, in this year of elections, that we might choose leaders that can best serve our nation, help us to focus on real issues, help us to follow not our hearts, but our faith. Help us to think clearly. We pray, Father, for wisdom and guidance. Lord, this morning we pray that you would be with us as individuals. Help us in the daily battle against sin and selfishness and self-righteousness. We pray for patience. We ask for forgiveness and mercy. We ask, Father, that you would help us to take responsibility for our lives, to get past the idea that our lives are somebody else's fault. Give us strength and encouragement. As always, we ask you to be with our first responders, our soldiers and their families. Protect them where they serve. Use them to protect lives and bring peace and justice and comfort their families. And Lord, help us in this life to represent Christ. Give us a burden for the lives of others. Help us to realize that people without Jesus need him. And even though everything might be good on the outside, on the inside without Christ, they are broken. Help us, Father, to trust your word. Lord, we pray now for wisdom, for a sense of understanding, for faith. For belief in your word. Be with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what makes you feel safe in this world? I have this paranoia about my house. Now, there are only two outside doors in my house. And Tammy will tell you that every night I annoy her because before I go to bed, I go to the front door and make sure it's locked. And then I go to the back door before it's locked. And then I, I do something and I get lost. And I go into the bedroom, and before I can get in bed, I have to go back and check those doors again. I'm not crazy, but close. I am so worried about it. Now, the crazy thing is, is that on multiple occasions, in the morning, I will get up and I will open the back door, which is how we go outside, and there are my keys in the back door. And I've locked that door. It was locked, but the keys were in it. So if anybody really wanted to, they could just turn the key and get it. I'm trying to break myself of that crazy habit. But I have this keen sense of security, and when I and I just it just goes on and on. And before I can lock the door to my house when I'm leaving, I have to be looking at the keys in my hand because I've locked myself out. And when I try to lock the car door, I have to do that. I have to look at the keys physically in my hand because I don't want to lock myself out. And I just got a thing with security, and I could go on and on, but I don't want to bore you. But but I just got to think. I want to make sure. That my stuff stays my stuff. I want to make sure that no one breaks in if I don't want them in. And I want to make sure that no one messes with me or my stuff or hurts me. Now my hunch is that you may not be as crazy as me about your keys and door locks. But how many of you change your passwords on a regular basis? 
Anybody? No one, one or two people do what they're supposed to do. How many of you have chosen to have two-factor authentication on some of your accounts? I know somebody has, a couple have, and some of you are wondering, what in the world are you talking about? And for those of you that have this paranoia with security like I have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You change your passwords and all those kinds of things. Tammy makes fun of my password. Her password is always the same no matter what the account is. doesn't matter what it is. Mine changes, and mine is always a combination of engine sizes or gun calibers and things like this. And I can have 20 character passwords. Now, I know what they are. No way could anyone get that. You see, it's that security thing. I don't want nobody to mess with my stuff. I wish I could say that I am alone, but I, I'm not. We want to be secure. We talk about faith and trusting God but most of us struggle with that whole idea of trusting God with our lives because you just know how people are and maybe you've misunderstood and maybe you're not doing things like you should and, and we have this culture that is in some places and sometimes very dangerous and we're just a little bit unsure if we can really trust and believe that God will do what he says and take care of us and those kinds of things. On screen was the individual that just struggled with that. His issue was... Do I really believe that God will take care of me? If God calls me to this church in San Francisco, there's no steady salary, there's no safety, there's no safety net. Do I really believe that God can take care of me? You see, the issue was security, wasn't it? Not just locked doors and passwords, but how secure are you as you trust God in faith? In the passage you're going to read in John chapter 10, we're going to see that Jesus addresses that very issue of security. Not just locked doors and things like that, but the idea of security in the hands of God. Follow along with me, if you would, in John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. John chapter 10, I'll begin at verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews, therefore, gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There are a couple of things we can learn from this passage, this first idea. Faith in Jesus can give you a lasting sense of spiritual security. Like I said earlier, we know that sometimes that you think that you are secure, you're not so secure. You know, me and the locked door with the keys in the other side. Sometimes our best efforts at maintaining security and safety really aren't very effective. And sometimes even when you do everything right, people can violate it. And you use passwords and all those kinds of things. And sometimes people can steal your identity or break into your accounts. The things of this world, unfortunately, are not secure. When Jesus talked to his disciples and the other people in the crowd, they were very familiar with this lack of security in life. 
Remember, they were living under Roman domination, and they had no sense of privacy and no sense of security. A Roman soldier could come into your house and literally do anything he wanted with no repercussions. So there wasn't any real security. The banking system was subject to the Roman government. Home security was subject to the Roman government. Your family relationships were subject to the Roman government, etc., etc. There really was no sense of security. And on top of that, most religions of the day, Judaism also, had this very clear understanding that if you mess up, the priest can get you. And he may take your stuff, but more importantly, he will destroy you spiritually. And that was across the board in almost all ancient faiths. It was understood that you could do everything just right, give your offerings, have faith, and all those kinds of things. And the priest or the religious order could come in and take you out of wherever you want to go. And if you think you were guaranteed to go to heaven, if you made the priest angry or didn't do what he said, you were wrong and he could simply kick you out. We call it excommunication now. This wasn't just in Judaism, but this was in so many other faiths. Judaism wasn't terrible about this, but they had this idea that priests had power. But in ancient faiths, the kind of faiths that the people were very familiar with, it was clear. If you crossed the priesthood, you would probably burn in hell or whatever you called it in those days. So there was no real spiritual security. So when Jesus was talking to his followers and people that were just in the crowd, they were very familiar with this idea that if they didn't do things just right, the priest could violate them and take their spiritual security and send them to hell and curse their families and those kinds of things. So this was part of the question. They, they wanted to know if Jesus really was the Messiah, but their big question was not just Jesus' identity, but how safe were they in trusting Jesus? Jesus was asking them, follow me. Leave the religious faith you've been practicing all your life. Leave the faith that your grandfather passed down to you. Leave the faith that all your friends in the big cities trust in and practice. Leave the faith that the priest uses to manipulate you and trust me. You see, that was the bigger question. Could they trust Jesus with their lives? And he was saying, listen, if you follow me, you can be safe. When God makes a promise, he always follows through. So when Jesus promises you that if you follow him, you are safe in him, that is a promise that God will that will fulfill. When Jesus promises you, trust me and I will save you, that is a promise that God will fulfill. When Jesus says, trust me, follow me, and I will take you through death and into eternity, that is a promise you can accept. So before we get into a lot of scriptural things, just understand, when scriptures teach us something, understand it as a promise from God, and God is a God of his word. So when we talk about spiritual security or eternal security, we're talking about the issue, can we trust God? And the issue, of course, and the answer is, well, of course we can. Jesus said in this passage that he was the good shepherd. Use this understanding. And in that agrarian culture, everybody understood. A good shepherd was with his sheep in the field. A good shepherd was armed and had weapons. And he would sacrifice his life to save those sheep. He would never leave them. He would never take a break and leave them unprotected. He would never go home at night because he was tired. He would never leave an animal out in the wilderness alone. In fact, as they were known for doing, going to great lengths to protect their animals. And Jesus took that understanding and said, Listen, I am your good shepherd. 
And just like the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd, those who follow Jesus would know his voice and would follow him. So he uses the understandings of the, of the modern, of the common day. And we need to understand that sometimes in our modern culture, we use a lot of big words and, and we have a lot of smart people taking modern understandings and making them very complex. Jesus wasn't very complex. He simply said, trust me, I'm the good shepherd and I will take care of you and you'll be safe in me. And so this idea of eternal security was really, will Jesus protect me? When push comes to shove, will be Jesus be there for me? When I die, will my faith in Jesus be enough to get me through whatever is going on on the other side? And people thought that way. I'm 62 years old, and there is a reasonable idea that I'll be alive another 10 or 15 years, right? You know, most of you, you know, understand. And those of you that are 20 or 30, you're thinking, well, I'm going to be here another 50 or 60 years. Probably true. In Jesus' day, if you were 40 years old, you knew the end was near. Average lifespan back in those days was 50-ish. There were some older ones, yes, but most people died pretty young. A lot of women died in childbirth. A lot of kids died from childhood illnesses. Things were hard. So people lived with a very clear understanding that death was at the door almost every day. And like I mentioned, those Roman soldiers could kill someone for not paying their taxes. And it would be that simple. You were dead. So this idea of being ready when God took you, when your life ended, will God take care of you? That was something that was a very present thought in a lot of people's lives. I have found out that as I get older, I'm more and more conscious of that because, you know, death is nearer now than it was 40 years ago. And we live with that kind of idea. When we talk about eternal security, here it is. The belief that your life and personal relationship with God and your place with him in heaven is safe because of your ongoing faith in Jesus. So everything we trust is based on Jesus' work on the cross. Okay? Nothing is based on your performance. Nothing is based on your intellect. Nothing is based on whether or not you've memorized a certain number of scriptures. And nothing is based upon whether or not you get things right and all the details in your life are perfect. It's all based on Jesus. Now, you can't change what Jesus did on the cross, can you? Jesus lived. He was crucified. He was buried. He was resurrected. So that is that unchanging fact of history. And on that unchanging fact of history, you can base your life. So eternal security isn't based on how good you are. It isn't based on how powerful a preacher is. And it's not even based on church doctrine. Eternal security is your life based on the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And that never changes. And God's power was expressed in that. So keep that in mind. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, show of hands. How many of you, and I don't mean to leave anybody out, how many of you have trusted Christ as Savior? Show of hands. All right. Do you know that no one can touch that? No preacher. If you make the preacher mad, he can't do anything to you. He wouldn't, but others might. 
No one can excommunicate you from the faith. No one can take away your salvation. You can't lose your salvation by falling into sin. Why? Because you didn't get saved because of your escape from sin. You got saved because you received Jesus as Savior. And the resurrected Christ came in and cleansed you in life. And it's not based upon performance. This little guy is safe in God's hands. Not, maybe not mama's hands, but he's safe in God's hands, right? His performance doesn't matter to God. The moment that child trusts in Jesus, he is safe. If he's not really ready to understand it yet, he's safe in God's hands. So he doesn't have to worry about it anyway, and I'm sure he isn't. But when you receive Jesus as Savior, the moment you say, Jesus, save me, you are safe. Not because you're good or because you're smart or because your mama wanted to. None of that means anything. You trusted Jesus as Savior and you are safe in God's hands. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes on stage isn't necessarily any closer to God than you on the back pew. Sorry, Susan. It doesn't matter where you sit either. God doesn't care doesn't care about your clothing, doesn't care about where you work, doesn't worry about your occasional slip-ups. He wants to cleanse you of sin, and you are safe when you trust him. And see, that's totally different than everything else. Preachers don't determine whether or not you are saved. Religious rules don't determine whether or not you are saved. Your clothing, your perfection, none of those things determine your eternal security. It is based on the cross and Jesus and what he did on that cross, his crucifixion and resurrection. Things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. You are secure in your faith. One of the things that God wants us to do is live with a conviction that we are safe. So here's the story. When Jesus talked to those people who were listening to him, they were afraid. In fact, they were a little bit afraid of being seen with Jesus, and you know that. Because if they were seen with Jesus, their priest or religious leader could condemn them or ostracize them or punish them. And so they were taking a risk just being seen with Jesus and asking him questions. So they were looking for this understanding, not only am I secure, how can I be sure? And Jesus told us through John in 1 John that you can know that you are saved. All right. I don't want, to, want you to raise your hands on this one. For those of you that raised your hands earlier and you received Jesus as Savior, how many of you, and don't raise your hands, how many of you sometimes feel a little bit guilty and maybe a little bit afraid? Don't raise your hands. Probably all of us at one time or another. You see, what we have to understand is God is a God of his word. He can be trusted. So when Jesus says, my sheep know me, and they know my voice and they follow me and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That is a promise to you from Jesus himself. You are safe in faith. And you can count on that. And you can trust that. And it doesn't matter if you fell. It doesn't matter if you are imperfect. As long as you claim Jesus as Savior, you're safe in him. Now, every one of us falls. We sin. Even as Christians, we sin, we reject God, we resist his leadership, we ignore scripture. Every one of us does. And the scriptures teach us that when we confess our sins to God, guess what? He forgives us. Always. 
do you deserve it? Not a correct question. It's not appropriate. Of course you don't deserve it. You get it because of who Jesus is. Your faith in Jesus is what makes the difference. Now when we accept that, when we receive Jesus as Savior, when we understand biblical teaching, and we learn to be secure in God's faith, then we can begin to build our lives on that faith. If you're always afraid that your faith isn't secure, if you're always afraid that maybe you go to the wrong church or believe in the wrong thing or carry the wrong version of the Bible, you know, if you're always a little bit insecure in your faith, there's going to be a reluctance on your part to build on that faith in Jesus. Jesus wants you to build on it. He wants to give you that spiritual condition that is secure. And he wants you to be willing to step out in faith because of that. In the video that we watched earlier, the man who chose to go to that new church in a shaky area of San Francisco only did so because he was absolutely sure that he was secure in God's hands. He didn't have any notions of spiritual perfection. He didn't know all that would happen. He didn't know what his experiences would be like, but he knew that Jesus was with him. And he was willing to base his life on that. What we have to do, and this is so hard, is learn to be secure and trust God at his word. You know, I can tell you every week that God's word is true. I can tell you every week that you can trust God at his word. I can tell you that you can base your life on the truths of God's teachings. But somewhere along the way, you have to quit going, okay, yeah, 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 is it time to eat yet? Or you have to make the decision to trust God's word. There's no secret formula for this. I can encourage you to do it. Your teacher can encourage you to do it. Your spouse, your parent, your child. But somewhere along the way, you have to choose to start believing God's word. So that's a point of contention for every one of us. The scholars call this a crisis of faith when your faith challenges you to change the things that you trust in. Will you trust your intellect? Will you trust your training? Will you trust your abilities and looks and all those kinds of things? Or will you trust God at his word? It's really a hard thing. It seemed like the more intellectually oriented someone is, the more difficult it is to trust someone. I was in a discussion with a guy a long time ago, real smart guy, atheist, and I asked him where he stood on this whole Jesus thing we'd been talking. And he said this. Now listen to these words. Epistemology precludes substantive belief. And I had never heard anyone use the word epistemology in a sentence before. So I had to think, okay, what does that word mean? And I said, okay, so you're telling me that because people disagree on faith that you can't make a decision. He goes, right. To this day... He cannot trust Scripture. Now, I can't prove to him anything about faith. That's the issue of faith, isn't it? I cannot prove to him that Jesus is Messiah. I cannot prove to him that the Bible is God's Word. I can show him evidences and those kinds of things. But ultimately, he has to choose to believe. So I pray that God will give him the gift of faith. That God will break through that barrier of intellectual safety and supremacy and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, it's up to him, isn't it? Just like it's up to you. I can't fix you. This is a personal decision you make. 
to trust Jesus as Savior, but also to begin to trust Scripture. And when you do that, then your life can go on. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 6 in your New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 6, I'll read the first three verses. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. A little bit of background. I'll try not to lose you here. When the author of Hebrews wrote this letter, he was writing to Christians who had gotten hung up on their own salvation. And when I say hung up, I mean they couldn't get past it. They were unsure of their salvation. So what they demanded from their preacher and all they wanted to hear about was how to get saved. Week after week after week. And when he talks about the basic things, he was talking about the basics of the faith. He's saying, you know, we need to move on past that. Because after you've been Christian a few years, you no longer have to hear about how to get saved. You're already saved. You don't have to hear about being baptized every week because, you, because you've already been baptized. And you don't have to, be, to hear about laying on of hands as that process of salvation because you've already done that. You see, they were good people, but they were stuck. And all they wanted to hear about was how to get saved. You know why? Because they were unsure of their salvation. They had allowed the things in that culture and some false teachers to create in them doubt. And they couldn't grow in the faith, and they weren't willing to get out and serve, and they surely weren't willing to risk anything for Jesus because they were a little bit unsure. Now, they would answer all the questions correctly. Have you received Jesus as Savior? Yes. Have you been baptized? Yes. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Yes. But when the preacher would ask, will you give your life in service, they go, we're not sure. Let's talk about salvation again. They weren't stupid people. They were people who were unsure. They were afraid to take God at his word. Now, they had the biblical teachings that we've already talked about. They already knew Ephesians 2.89, 2, 8 and 9 that we read earlier. They already knew that it wasn't based on their performance. They had that in their head, but they couldn't let it in their heart. And they couldn't just accept the fact that in Jesus, they were safe. So when Jesus, back in John, was telling his people, my sheep know me, and they follow me, and none shall take them out of my hand. He was addressing an issue that he knew would always be a problem. People trusting God at his word. I can't say it any other way other than we have to learn how to trust him. When you learn to trust God, there is a sense of confidence in life. Meaning this, if the preacher doesn't like you, that's okay. If the priest is angry at you, that's okay. If you fail in your life as a Christian, God still loves you. You're still Christian. The Holy Spirit is still within you. The church walls won't fall down if you walk in the door. You know, you'll hear people, hear people say that, won't you? Well, I think if I came to church, the walls would fall down, and they have this idea that God is angry at them. Nothing could be further from the truth. We all fall. We fail Jesus on a regular basis. We are still saved. The Holy Spirit is still within us, and we still have a reason to go on in life because God loves us no matter what. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. 
And if you watch a TV preacher and he says something crazy, you know what you can do? Change the channel and forget about it. If you pick up a book of some religious leader and he or she says something and it scares you, you know what you can do? Toss that book because it doesn't matter. Get into scripture. Remember what John said. There is a reason for hope. Jesus said, I know my people and they're safe and no one can take you away from God. From God. And on that, when you get to that point, you can begin to build your life of service because you trust that God will care for you. A strong and mature faith in Jesus can provide you with an unshakable foundation for your life. So trust Jesus completely and experience the strength and security that only God can give. Your health will fail if you live long enough, you'll get old and you will get weak. People that you trust will fail. Sometimes they will die. But Jesus will always be there for you. Trust God. Trust the promises in his word and begin to build your life on that. Because when you do that, then your life can be secure and God can take you where you never thought possible. Nate's going to come and lead us this morning in a closing hymn of commitment and invitation. Nate, why don't you come on up? And Hazel's helping him today, by the way. Trust Jesus. Trust his word. Please stand and let's sing together. second stanza as well. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing were not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing dost ask who that may Christ Jesus, it is He, Lord Sabbath, His name, from age to age the same, and He must win the Let's pray before we go. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together with other believers. As we go out this week, Lord, bring to mind the need to pray for our church as a whole, 
for our church family and uh, for specific needs of members of our church family that we're aware of. Also, Lord, we would ask that you walk through this week with us, bringing to mind to honor you in everything we say, think, and do. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.